More people than ever are living in cities. The middle classes are growing and with that comes increased consumerism. Now we already know also that the planet is warming up. So can forests be a part of the solution? Do they have a role to play at all? Welcome to Renewable Future from the Renewable Materials Company, Stora Enso. In studio, we have Frederick Erfeld, Managing Partner at the Insight Agency Augur, and Noel Moran, Head of Sustainability at Stora Enso. You're very welcome to the programme. Let's first look right at, at urbanisation. We, we know people are moving into cities. They've been doing this for a long time. But what sort of effect is this having on our society and on, on our world? Frederick. I think that urbanization has a huge impact <clears throat> on our world and on our future. And it's uh, something that we at Algur look at very closely. I think that in this day and age, we as humans are to a large extent free, uh, certainly in this part of the world, to invent our own lives. And we want a full range of possibilities uh, and we want to explore everything that life could potentially give us. And uh, I think that's essentially what what the cities can can give us, uh, and that's why they have such a strong pull. So what's the future going to look like then? That is uh, in the stars, but I think that we need to pay close attention to new phenomenon, such as, for instance, uh, community living, living with people who share the same ideals, the same views that you might have yourself, and urban gardening, urban farming, all of these are very interesting examples, I think, of how we're, as, as people in living in urban areas, willing to experiment and to try new, new ways of, of finding a more sustainable way of going about our everyday lives. Noel, from the, uh, the Stora Enso point of view, then, what do you see? What sort of trends are you seeing, particularly from, from, from Stora Enso's look on things? Well, when it comes to urbanization, one phenomenon that we see growing more and more is consumers taking their meals on the go. Everything is on the go, coffee's on the go, sandwiches is on the go, hot food, cold food. So that's creating a different sort of demand for packaging. There was a time when everything was frozen. Frozen is no longer the way to deliver. If you're on the go, it needs to be chilled or at room temperature. And that creates interesting challenges for packaging. We're seeing a move away, for example, less desire for plastic for packaging and more desire for natural materials, wood fibre, for example. Uh, but then that brings issues of public health because when something's frozen, it's biologically safe. Uh, if something is chilled or a room temperature, then the question has to be asked, is it still biologically safe? Because the food chain is getting longer and longer. Yeah. And if you have to deliver on-the-go products to consumers through a very long supply chain, then you need to be sure that the temperatures at which that product was shipped stay within the safe range from a biological point of view. So I think it's very interesting from intelligent packaging, which is one thing we're starting to see, uh, an interest in turning packaging not just into a container in which to deliver a product, but that packaging also gives you intelligent information that you can then deliver over the internet in various ways to the consumer or the originator of the product or some intermediary. From a sustainability perspective, though, there is that challenge with this increasing amount then of, of packaging that you're saying if we, if we want to eat stuff on the go. Yeah, there's a lot more and it's not just the consumer when they're, you know, 
drinking or, or eating, but we're also seeing you know, massive changes in terms of high street uh, selling. So more delivery over the web, which is creating enormous demand for brown packaging, uh, mostly again fibre-based rather than plastic. If you think of some of the you know the big US tech companies, everybody's ordering their products online and all turns up in a brown box then you've got to ask the question what's going to happen to that box which is leading more and more to a big debate in certainly in the developed world around the need for a much stronger circular economy and is is that possible uh yeah i mean there are many good examples starting to appear uh even for coffee cups I, I, i'm involved in the uk quite a bit and we're starting to see debates there about different types of incentive schemes for consumers to recycle their coffee cups. Billions of coffee cups are used around the world all the time, and most of those are fibre-based rather than plastic. So we're seeing the emergence of a circular economy, which is driven very much by these changes in consumerism and urbanisation, the two go hand in hand. But also within that, there's a very important section, which is the bioeconomy, because the one thing you can do with fibre, say from a tree, which is mostly what we do, it's renewable. Trees grow. Barrels of oil don't. So if you make a plastic package, then you've got a big challenge with the renewability of it, even if the plastic is recyclable. Yeah. Whereas if you start with a natural living fibre from a tree or another plant, then you've got a renewable source of your raw material and you have the potential to recycle as well. Yeah. So you've got two banks for your book. And I think as consumers become more in the middle class and, 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 and higher in terms of wealth and aspiration and you know, hierarchy of needs and all those good things, they will want to be part of not just the circular economy model, but also the bioeconomy model. If we take it a step back, and maybe this is a silly question to ask, but would it be better if urbanisation didn't take place, if we were still out in rural areas and, and, and we wouldn't have to deal with these kind of challenges? Uh, what do you say, Frederick? That's a very hypothetical question. <laughs> it is incredibly, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> urbanization is in, in fact uh, happening and there's nothing we can do about it. And uh, I think that, what well, my stance anyway, is that we, we can look at this in a positive way because you can argue that cities are where the future happens first. So cities are at the forefront, both when it comes to facing the challenges that we're up against, but also at the forefront in coming up with these smart solutions mm. that will take us forward. And um, I think that cities have a lot of potential to deal with things in a hands-on way. And I mentioned this to you when I talked to you the other day. I just read, let me see, what was it called again? Barber is called. And he wrote a book a few years ago called If Mayors Rule the World. And he recently wrote one called Cool Cities. And his argument is that cities are, in fact, more adequate than, than states when it comes to dealing with new ways of uh, living in a sustainable manner or coming up with sustainable solutions because they're not as tied down by political game playing or strategizing and they really have to put their money where their mouths have been because they have to come up with results to be re-elected and it's more it's a more agile way of really playing out things so i think that's that's interesting and i also think that cities have a great potential when it comes to ecological cooperation and to experiment with things and really mobilize people around ecological solutions. Another trend is, you know, is growing middle classes. Um, and growing middle classes also means really increased sort of consumerism. I mean, we, we talked about packaging on the go, but it's just consumerism in general. 
what can you say about this particular trend, uh, Frederick, right now? And then we can talk to you, Noel, about what we can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, well, obviously Asia is the home to, to the majority of the emerging middle classes. And um, we, we don't really know how they will consume or spend their money in the future. But it's a fair assumption that as they climb up the social ladder, they will want to buy a lot of consumer goods and enjoy experiences that have been out of their reach previously. I'm not an expert on uh, the Asian middle classes, but I have done a lot of research on the motivators for sustainable consumer choice in our part of the world. And I think there is reason to be concerned uh, because what I can see very clearly is that in our part of the world, we have consumer groups that are very motivated by ideals and buying into the idea of creating a better world even if that comes at a certain price. I might have to pay more for, for products or services and they might not be as attractive or effective as the ones I've enjoyed previously. But when we look at consumer groups with less spending power and who are just climbing the social ladder, uh, that motivation is not as, as clear. Uh, they're more looking at short-term benefits rather than the long-term perspective. Uh, so I think that's a real challenge that we need to address. So, no, let's address the challenge. <laughs> Is there a solution in sight? Well, I think it's interesting if you've got to separate, I guess, the developed world and the developing world. Um, urbanization, whether we like it or not, requires us all to have a roof over our head. And whether we're living in a community with shared interests and a, a small farm you know, on the roof or in the basement or out the back or something more elaborate, um, we're going to have to think differently about how we deliver those roofs over our heads. And, and again, we're starting to see a very significant interest in the use of, of wood for construction. But wood, as has not been used before, really, uh, this is highly engineered wood that can be used to replace concrete or steel, and not just in you know single-family homes or villas or whatever, but actually in multifamily, high-rise type apartment blocks. And we're seeing demand, you know, from particularly for Nordic wood, uh, as far away as Japan and Australia. Uh, and these countries are very much leading the way in creating a very different sort of aesthetic environment in which to live in an urban environment. Uh, and wood is a beautiful product to build with, and it's a beautiful thing to live in. So there are a lot of aesthetic qualities there, and the processes now that are available in the Nordics and in Central Europe particularly are leading the way in buildings that can be made much more from wood than ever before and at much larger scale than ever before. And you were talking, Frederick, all about this kind of need that the people people have today about getting back to nature. Is this perhaps a way that we will see that happening then? Definitely. I, I think there's a deep longing within our culture for a more simple or, or natural way, way of living. And at my agency, we call it digital detox. Mm. We need to take a break from the digital world. We need to step aside from the constant distraction that we're struggling with. And uh, we can do that in, in many different ways. But if we're talking about materials, I think that wood has a very strong symbolic value because it represents something that we've carried with us yep. from generation to generation. And it's a very strong uh, ideal in consumer culture as well to, to get back to, to this sort of more basic down-to-earth way of living and materials that are easily decodable as part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Yeah. 
And to do a plug for previous podcasts we've had, we have done ones on, on lignin and on cellulose where they're starting to talk about making carbon fibres from wood-based fibres and making, you know, batteries from, you know, cellulose and lignin and, and using, you know, the, the parts of a tree to start really really producing anything from, from wood. So I'd encourage anyone to go in and, and, and listen to those podcasts as well because it's very interesting what's happening in, in that area. When it comes though to the forest, as you were mentioning, you know it's a it's a seventy to one hundred year period. I mean, how do how do we manage that sustainably? Because you're you're going from generation to generation. Well, it's been done very successfully already in in this part of the world. Um, you know, the, most of the forests of Sweden and, and elsewhere in the Nordics have been managed and have had human intervention for several hundred years. So we talk about them as sort of semi-natural landscapes. Um, Forests left to their own devices die eventually because they decay. And I think when you have sensible, sustainable human interaction with forests, then you can create a, a socio-economic model which is sustainable forever. You can harvest trees in a sustainable way. Um, you don't have to take all of them. You don't have to take them all at the one time. You can allow nature to coexist. Uh, and there are many good examples in this part of the world and elsewhere in emerging economies of... Uh, social agro agro development alongside uh, we've got plantations in brazil and in uruguay for example where we've got thousands of beehives that are owned by local people who then supply organic honey as far away as germany so you're optimistic about the future we've had alarming reports recently about co2 emissions beginning to go up and uh, and the like yeah see i mean man-made co2 uh, emissions are, are real and and it is damaging um we see it in our business and I see it as I travel around the world. I think we have to remember that a tree is basically a carbon store. And while it's alive up to a certain point, just like you and I, we grow and we absorb things and then we start to decay and we release things. Trees are the same. I think it's important that we understand that there is a value in a tree when it's alive to do that. But also there's a value in a tree when it's harvested in that it can continue to be a store of carbon if it's in a building, and buildings can stand for hundreds of years. Uh, so that store remains even if the tree is dead. Or in shorter life cycle products like packaging or paper, provided they go back into a bioeconomy type model, a circular economy, then you can get the benefit more than once. I mean, typically a paper fibre can be recycled seven times before you can't make paper from it again. Packaging the same. So I see the role of trees and the role of forests, particularly well-managed forests, as a, a very significant part of the solution. Frederick, your own thoughts about the future? You're optimistic? I am optimistic. Um, and I'm optimistic because when I look at the bigger changes in the world, we can see that we live in an age of increased transparency, but also consumer power. So companies will be under greater scrutiny in the future and uh, they're going to have to be part of the solution uh, and it's, it won't be enough in the future to have a half-hearted CSR page on your website. Exactly. <laughs> Sustainability <laughs> has to be part of, of your business model. Absolutely. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Frederick Erfeld, Noel Moran, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Renewable Future from the Renewable Materials Company, Stora Enso.